it for a small person. Um, there was once a young man who was an avid <coughs> West Ham supporter. There is another one. But unfortunately, he had very little money, and he could never afford to pay for a match ticket. So just imagine his excitement when a friend gave him a ticket for one of the biggest games of the season. Well, he got to the ground, but his excitement lessened slightly when he realised that his seat was right at the very back of the stadium. He scanned the rows ahead of him uh, to look for a better seat, and he spotted an empty one right in the best position. Well, he went down and he approached the man uh, sitting next to the empty seat, and he said, is a seat taken? And the elderly gentleman <coughs> said, uh, no, no it isn't. Amazed, the young man asked, how could someone pass up a seat like this? The older man responded, that's my wife's seat. We've been to every home game together since we were married, but she has passed away. Oh, that's sad, said the young man, but I'm really sorry to hear that, but couldn't you have brought a friend or a relative along today? No, said the man, they're all at the funeral. The true fan is all about commitment. And uh, this morning began to look at commitment, perhaps on a slightly different kind than the average football supporter. Well, last week, um, Hayes' sermon looked at uh, the prophecies about Jesus that often were made uh, many, many years before he was on earth. So we're going to look at uh, just one verse. Uh, can I have it written down? Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Don't worry, the sermon is not going to be that short, this one. <laughs> this, uh, this prophecy from Jeremiah was made some 600 years before Jesus' time, and it shows that God operates on a slightly different timescale to us. That single verse actually raises quite a few questions. It mentions a covenant. So first of all, what, what is a covenant? And it talks of God making a new covenant. So what's this new covenant all about? And if there's to be a new covenant, there must have been an old covenant. So what was it? And why did it have to be replaced? So first of all, a, a covenant. You might hear here these days as a legal term. And it's when two parties draw up a contract. And the contract details uh, or stipulates that the parties, what they must honour, and something that they must do, or perhaps sometimes something they must not do. And the condition is that if either party fails to meet the requirements, then the contract loses its binding force. Now in the Bible, the term covenant has a very powerful and significant meaning because it refers to an undertaking 
between God and man. Normally a covenant is made between equals, but a contractual arrangement between God and man is anything but between equals. I think we can safely say that God is the senior partner in this relationship. But don't think for a moment that that's somehow unfair. Yes, God is supreme and our creator. Father, Son and Spirit, the Trinity are in perfect harmony, perfect unity. They are complete within themselves. Put bluntly, God has absolutely no need for you and I. He could ignore us as being insignificant. He could just simply dictate or demand our complete <coughs> obedience. But the most extraordinary thing, the most mysterious, the most incomprehensible, is that God raises us up to a privileged position where he willingly commits himself to honour a contract, a solemn undertaking that is entirely for our benefit. So what was the old covenant? <coughs> well, the covenant is first mentioned uh, early in the Bible in Genesis 6, when God made a covenant with Noah, who of course was saved from the flood along with his family. And later in Genesis 17, God made a covenant with Abraham when he was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. These were, these were covenants, these were promises by God. And later in the Bible, this promise wasn't discarded. After all, it still holds true. But it was added to after the exodus from Egypt and the famous crossing of the Red Sea. Well, God then said, Now therefore you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Well, eventually, after wandering around the desert, the Israelites are led by Moses to Mount Sinai. Moses treks up and down the mountain quite a few times, which is no mean feat for a man in his 80s. And he's given the Ten Commands. Moses was away for a little while, and the people got a little bit bored, so they knocked up a golden calf, which they proceeded to worship, and threw a big party. God was less than impressed with this, and neither was Moses, and he smashed the tablets containing the Ten Commandments. Moses then pleads on the people's behalf for them to be given another chance. Moses makes a reprint of the Ten Commandments and is given <coughs> a detailed list of instructions which can be found in Exodus and Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy. <coughs> These uh, detailed instructions covered moral, social, food laws, purity, the tabernacle, the priesthood, 
feasts and the sacrificial system of worship. The blood of various animals, bulls, goats and so on were offered as a sacrifice of worship and for their sin and transgression. This all sounds a little gruesome to our modern sensibilities but that was the deal. This was how the people should show their commitment, should show their obedience to God by observing these rituals. That's what we generally term the Old Covenant, sometimes referred to as a covenant of works. Unfortunately, this covenant had a fatal flaw. There was nothing wrong with the covenant in itself, but the fault lay with God's covenant partners, the people of Israel. Time and time again, they turned their backs on God and chased after pagan gods. And in the time of Jeremiah, the people had almost totally abandoned God. And as a result, the nation was overrun and the temple was destroyed. So, so much for the Old Covenant. We share this, uh, this building with our Anglican brothers and sisters. And behind me is an altar. Now we have a slightly different style of worship. But you will notice there's a distinct lack of blood and animal innards on the altar. Something has clearly changed. God has instigated a new covenant. There is a saying in, in Bible study, let scripture interpret scripture. So fortunately this prophecy of Jeremiah is explained in some detail in the New Testament in the letters to Hebrews. So rather than me explain it, I'll let Scripture explain the New Covenant. It's, uh, it's the whole chapter, but it's well worth reading. It's Hebrews chapter 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted in better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That's our reading from Jeremiah. Not like the covenant 
that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into <coughs> their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbour and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The old covenant was based on the Mosaic law and animal sacrifice, which has now been superseded. It's being replaced by a far greater covenant grounded in the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That one perfect sacrifice made on the cross, his blood that was shed. As the old Wesley hymn puts it, tis mystery all, the immortal dies. He has made the old sacrificial system obsolete and unnecessary. In fact, Jesus himself used this term. At the Last Supper he said, Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The old covenant was external. It was written down. It was a set of instructions that Israel was unable or unwilling to fulfill. The new covenant is inward. It's written in our minds and on our hearts. It is part of our innermost being, our very soul. The promise has not changed. God will be our God. But God's Spirit enables us to recognise his commands and obey. The old covenant was made exclusively to the Jewish people. The new covenant is available to all who would hear and receive the gospel message. No longer are priests required to make sacrifice over and over again for themselves and for the people. Through Jesus, God offers complete forgiveness for our sins. This is what we call grace. The undeserved, the unconditional forgiveness of God. And this new covenant that's been established through the death of Jesus on the cross is our assurance, our guarantee, that our sins are forgiven <coughs> and forgotten. That all sounds amazing. Surely it's too good to be true. But if you remember, a covenant is agreement between two parties. And it seems to me that God has done everything possible, including the sacrifice of his only son, to make an agreement that is on offer to everyone, that's entirely for our benefit, and it has eternal 
and everlasting consequences. But, there is always a but. Here is the, the not-so-small print. In this agreement, you and I have very little to bring to the table. We stand in the awesome presence of God in filthy ranks, with nothing much to offer other than our sin. But the one small thing that you and I can bring is faith. Faith, however small and tentative, but faith to begin to trust in the promise of God. Faith to believe in things unseen and those that God has revealed in Scripture. Faith to recognise our sin and humbly accept forgiveness. Faith to believe in the person of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. through the life and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, you have offered us forgiveness for our sins. All we have to bring is faith. Those of us whose faith is strong, may it deepen and strengthen and grow in the love and knowledge of you. For those whose faith is small, May your Holy Spirit <coughs> strengthen and nurture and let it blossom into a wonderful thing. For those who feel they have no faith at all, maybe this very day your spirit may touch them and may they know your presence. In Jesus' name we pray.